Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand, Kristen, you remember making an impact on you as a young girl? Sesame Street. And, you know, again, that's an example of my philosophy because it started, it's, it was content. They had products. <laughs> um, you know, you could kind of go, I remember we went to like this Sesame experience, Sesame Street experience. And, and then I, I gave it to my daughter when she was growing up. And so um, I think that, you know, those brands that have stood the test of time and ex- again, exist in many places in consumers' lives that, I don't know that that kind of web that they built and webs web seems like a kind of evil word but it's really that um, entanglement that i think you get with some of these brands and those are the ones that i think you know have made an impact on me hi i'm jim stangle and i help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow for seven years i was the global marketing officer for procter and gamble where i oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands you may not know it But the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Kristen Patrick, the EVP and chief marketing officer at the youth-oriented fashion and accessory company, Claire's Stores, Inc. The firm goes to market with two brands, Claire's and Icing and has about 2,500 stores globally. With its retail stores and a burgeoning e-commerce and subscription business, Claire's store's revenue is about a billion and a half and growing. My guest Kristen has been CMO at Claire's for about 14 months. Prior to Claire's, Kristen spent seven years at PepsiCo. Her last role was global chief marketing officer, the big one. Kristen has worked at a host of famous companies, including Gap, Calvin Klein, Revlon, and Walt Disney. This is my conversation with a pop culture maven, Kristen Patrick. Kristen, welcome to the CMO Podcast. Your Instagram bio says you are passionate about finding the humor in life. I am too. So where have you found humor in your life this week? First of all, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And let's see, where have I found humor in life? You know, I actually get a lot of inspiration these days from my daughter who mm-hmm. is in her first year at college <laughs> and um, she has absolutely zero concept of, I think, managing her own money. So, you know, I'll often get texts, um, including yesterday where she said, mom, is it okay if I get a facial? And I said, Olivia, um, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, okay, that's fine. But you're supposed to be watching your money. And she texted back good because I'm already doing it. So it's like, I just have to laugh at that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Clever kid on timing, right? (laughs) Exactly. And interestingly enough, my current role is all about Gen Z. And that's exactly who my daughter is. So I guess it works out in the end. (laughs) There's lots of humor in Gen Z. There's lots of humor in every generation. Yes, that's honestly. true. Now, I must admit, I did not, I guess I I guess I would have known this if I had thought about it, but I, I really didn't know that you were by far the industry leader in ear pre- piercing services. 
Then I started to ask my family, where did you get your ears pierced? Everyone, including my son, got it done at Claire's. So I'd like you to sort of start talking about that decision your company made years ago. And it's such a competitive advantage for you. You know, back at P&G, we used to talk about the point of market entry in categories and how to be present when there's a new mom, when there's uh, someone starting to brush their teeth. When, the, when a girl went into puberty, those were life stage moments that were really important, and we had brands that could be a part of that. This sounds like that strategy on steroids. So I'd love you to talk a bit about that strategy, the results, the thinking behind the service, you know, when it started, how you keep it kind of fresh and relevant and have such a great market position. It, it really is a wonder. So first of all, um, Claire's is a 50-year-old brand, and I don't know if a lot of people realize that. But, you know, one of the first entry points for this brand is actually um, at a time when you're going through a rite of passage, which is ear piercing. You know, it is it, it is quite a momentous time for a lot of people. I got my ears pierced there and then my daughter got her ears pierced there. And it's it's actually one of the most joyous things that I experience as the chief marketing officer for this company. You know, I'll tell people what I do. And they will say, oh, my gosh, you know, I got my ears pierced there. And it just puts you in a place in people's lives where, you know, you you enter at just this wonderful, wonderful time. And then they sort of stay with you through other amazing life events from, you know, whether it's prom to first communions to bar mitzvahs or uh, bat mitzvahs. They they just have this like kind of fond feeling about the brand, which was an, an incredible place to sit in consumers' lives, and so you know we've pierced um, millions and millions of ears over over time, and you know we truly are in the number one position. Um, we don't take that for granted. You know we we are constantly looking at how we continue to um, update our our training. We are constantly looking to update the experience for consumers. Um, we're in the process of, you know, talking to consumers on a regular basis about what they want to see from us. So we are really always focused on making it a very comfortable experience for consumers and, and you know, learning about what they want. One of the big things that we're hearing from them right now is, you know, multiple piercings is a very big mm -hmm. thing. And so um, really talking to our ear piercing specialists about styling them and giving them styling advice. And we call what you end up with your ear print. And at the end of the day, your ear print actually is as unique as your thumbprint. And so, you know, taking the time to spend with consumers to understand what they want to do and how you're placing your piercings along your ear is, you know, an incredibly personalized and customized um, step in getting your ear pierced. So we know that they want more of that from us. We know that, um, you know, it's incredibly important to feel relaxed as you're getting your ears pierced. Um, so we're working on sort of making that even more um, of a peaceful situation for them. What role does it play in your marketing strategy? 
it plays a pretty significant role in in the marketing strategy. Um, you know, like I say, sometimes a first point of entry with the brand mm-hmm. is is at an ear piercing. So, um, really making that whole experience and, and and you know the consumer journey from end to end um, unique and special is something that we're really focused on. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about Claire's in a bit. But I'd like to start this interview by exploring your career path, which I think is so rich with lessons. And I want to start with the Walt Disney Company, where you were very early in your career. And you have said in another forum that you learned there that great marketing is rooted in a compelling product, content, and experience. And you have really lived that belief, as far as I can tell, throughout your career, right up through this role. So, Kristen, I'd love you to tell us how you have activated that belief, product, content, content, experience, as a leader in such a rich diversity of organizations. You know, starting off your career at the Walt Disney Company gives you a really interesting purview. Um, I think that best-in-class marketers often start their careers off at P&G and Unilever and, you know, even the Pepsis and Cokes of the world. And I, I grew up at the Walt Disney Company. Taking taking that experience, which um, was all about content and building franchises out of content. And I think when, when I think about what they do so brilliantly, it's um, they express every single piece of intellectual property or brand that they own across content, product, amazing consumer products, and then these enriched experience from parks to cruises. Um, I really sort of built my philosophy around that. Now, I think early on in my career, when we talked about content, it, it was difficult for people to understand and skip to, you know, where we are today. Um, and particularly my role at Pepsi, um, content and storytelling became uh, an incredibly important aspect of, I think, what every brand is trying to figure out right now. And it's really sort of the emotional connection of brands um, to that storytelling piece and how you're putting it out there. I don't see it as a tactic. I really seeing uh, uh, I really see content about building from an insight about both the consumer and the brand, and then putting it out there. Um, you know, we built a content studio at Pepsi. Um, one of the things that we realized is, you know, we used to create maybe four big television spots a year at the company at four to six million dollars a, a pop in terms of production, and now brands are having to be in the position of creating, you know, 10,000 pieces of content a day around the world. 
And, um, you know, I heard this, this thing while I was at Pepsi and it actually came from Marriott and Arnie Sorensen, the old CEO. And he kind of, he had, he had this declaration of, you know, you know, publisher perish and brands have to be in the position to be publishers. And, um, I was just in some ways lucky in the fact that I started to think about content sort of very early on in my career. And, and every brand that I've worked on so far is struggling with this. You know, after I left Pepsi, I took on uh, some consulting roles and I was the interim chief marketing officer for a Sycamore owned brand called um, Torrid, which is a, a set of retail stores. And they were even thinking about how do I connect with this consumer and tell the story of this journey that, you know, uh, plus size women kind of go on in, in their lives and in finding clothes that fit for them. And it really comes down to that editorial model. Um, so I think that this is one of the most challenging things that brands and companies are facing today. You know, there a lot of them are set up to do uh, creative assets that can live in organic social that can live on their websites. But when you want to start to give them style advice and I think sit in a more important place in their lives, it's like, oh, wait, how do I do that? Like the traditional agencies that I work with aren't able to do that. So do I have to go out and hire, you know, editors and copywriters? And, and what does that look like in terms of, you know, my, my um, organization? Yeah, it's a very different organizational model. And I, we just had Gary Vaynerchuk on the podcast and he talked about every brand should start on TikTok and, and go from there, you know, and that's probably a bit of an extreme point of view for every brand, but a lot of them should. And it's a fabulous property for consumer insights, for, for, for education, entertainment, everything. So his thinking is right. And, and every brand is wrestling with it. Y you were at Pepsi before this, global chief marketing officer and, and also um, you were the chief marketing officer of the brand Pepsi and you were there seven years. That is one of the great schools of marketing. You know, we always had tremendous respect for them when I was at PNG. So I'd love you to wax a bit about that experience and how that prepared you for what you're doing now, what you took away. You started the content studio at Pepsi, but what did you learn there that has been helpful for you in your job here at Claire's? Pepsi was an amazing experience. I loved, I absolutely loved working there. I think because I started off where I did, Jim, at Disney versus like one of the, versus a PNG or a Unilever, I didn't get the um, ability to understand, you know, operations and um, the process of doing marketing, right? So I went from Disney to Calvin Klein spent some time at Revlon, went back into the entertainment industry. And so I learned, you know, how to be um, an entrepreneurial thinker, how to be um, highly, highly uh, creative. Um, I learned a ton about um, data and analytics because, you know, working in the retail industry at places like Gap, that we had our own credit cards, we had our own loyalty programs. Um, but the one thing that I didn't learn how to do was how to, I think, get work done in a highly matrixed infrastructure, in a global highly matrixed mm -hmm. infrastructure, let me say that. And, you know, I had to learn that. And I came in um, as a bit of a change agent. Right. I was the first ever global chief marketing officer for brand Pepsi. 
I came in at a time when sugar was becoming the next tobacco. Um, I, so there was a lot of product transformation at the time. Uh, normally, I don't think people come in and start to change the form, the formula of Blue Can Pepsi, but it was a lot of work with the scientists. It was a lot of thinking through, you know, new product launches and better for you products. I came in at a time when, you know, they were really rethinking television. So kind of setting up that whole infrastructure of how are you going to start to create 10,000 pieces of content a day? Um, I also came in at a time where we created like the first ever global posi positioning for brand Pepsi. And it was a, an, an ecosystem where people say they bleed blue at the company. I, I had no beverage experience. <laughs> I came from Playboy of yep. all places, Jim. I was the chief marketing officer for Playboy. And then I walked into yeah. Pepsi, right? So um, I, I think the the most important lesson I learned was how to how to operate and get work done in that kind of environment and really how do you galvanize a system? How do you um, organize a system to, uh, to take ideas and, and all of these kind of change agendas and, and move it through an organization, which was not easy. Um, I really learned about you can't sit at the top and sort of drop drop a vision down into an organization and just hope that, you know, people embrace it. Um, so I really learned about sort of working from the bottom up. Um, I learned about the idea of collaboration and co-ownership in a really profound way. And then knowing when the right times were to step in and lead. For me, there there were points where I had to listen and then knowing when it was time to sort of um, make some of the decisions. So I wished I had that earlier on in my career, but, you know, I, I kind of had to learn that um, on the fly at the company. What compelled you to go to Pepsi? Was it to have the experience at a big CPG and the matrix organization and you know, global brand management or was it a leader? Um First of all, always a very big admirer of, I think, what Pepsi did from a cultural perspective. You know, mm -hmm. I love that um, they were selling sugar water, but they were doing it in a way that I think really moved culture. So that was very um, interesting to me. But I'll tell you, I went there at a time when I knew that a lot of things needed to change. Right. I went there at a time when sugar was becoming the next tobacco. And I went there at a time where they were, you know, open to discussing digital marketing and building a content studio. I think if I had been asked to do that um, years before, I don't know if it would have been the right move for me. I really like to tackle um, either brands in need of a makeover or business transformation or coming in at a time where, you know, it's not just going to be business as usual and sort of just you know, getting incremental gains from a sales perspective. But I think they were open at the time to looking at how to do things differently. And so um, while, you know, I loved everything about the brand, it, it was also just the right time. You've also said that you, the red thread in your career has been all the brands had culture at the center of the brand. And that's really interesting to you, as you said. Do you recommend that for everyone? For our listeners, should culture be at the center of every brand? I think that culture and consumer needs to be uh, an important aspect of what, you know, what every business is thinking about, um, because I think that culture 
some brands can define culture, right? And some brands follow it. But I think that if you're not in tune with, first of all, your consumer, what's going on in their lives and what's around them, um, and you're not responding to that, and that that's even culture, you know, family trends or culture. Um, obviously, there's popular culture, music, sports, entertainment, but even trends happening from a family perspective, family dynamics, um, social interactions, like I do think every single business needs to be aware of that. If, if their brand does not have culture at the center, if they're not particularly consumer and culture focused, how do, how do you recommend they start? I mean, what have been your lessons in understanding and pr propagating a culture or promulgating a culture that has consumer and culture at the center of the way they think about their brands? I think the most important place to start is to be really close to the consumer because in some ways they push that, they'll demand that of you, right? They'll demand things like social responsibility. They'll demand things from you in terms of who your spokespeople are because they are making decisions with their dollars. So, you know, we, we as chief marketing officers are operating at a time um, of cancel culture. So the first step, I think, is just getting a feedback loop in place where you can speak to your consumer on a regular basis. And, you know, quite frankly, it's easier for omni-channel or omnipresent uh, brands and businesses to start to establish that. And by the way, they tell you, like, you know, I'm sure every CMO sees this, the first customer service has changed. You no longer call the 1-800 number. It's bubbling up on TikTok. It's bubbling up on Instagram. And so I, I think that you have to be looking at that stuff. And that places you, forces you to be in a place to, one, listen to your consumer, but also understand, like, the cultural things that are are um, I think driving them, that's the first place to start. It's always with the, with the consumer. Now, last question about your terrific career. You have a three-part criteria for evaluating career moves that I have read. And the first one is, does the opportunity excite you? Second is, does the opportunity improve my financial position? And third, can I create impact through the remit of the job? That's a pretty darn good checklist. So I'd like to know, have you ever compromised on that three-part criteria when taking a role? You know what's so funny? I I don't feel like I'm as calculated as I should be in my career, to be <laughs> honest with you, Jim. Like I I remember I was sitting on a panel and and um, somebody who was very impressive in terms of like calculating her career moves and where she should go. Um, she had the whole thing planned out. And I was like, my gosh, like I did not do that. Um, you know, so, and, and, and sometimes it was like personal situations in terms of having to make a move across the country or, um, I always sacrifice on the financial part of it, which is probably a very dumb thing to do. Um, but I don't know for me, um, yes, I want security and, you know, raising a daughter and all of that is obviously always a, a worry. But um, the two things that I try never to compromise on is the, um, am I excited? Do I love this brand? Like, do I want to use it and recommend it? And then I think the um, impact I can make is really, really important. Um, so I prefer to compromise on like financial as well as uh, title. Right. Because I think that sometimes you take a step back to take a couple of steps forward. And I feel like if you get into the organization and you do a good job, if, if 
you know, they're good people and you're, you're, um, you're, you're really making an impact, then I think that you can improve those two things. Like, I feel like in some ways that's within your control. This is a good segue, that comment, to start talking about your current role at Claire's. You've been CMO about 14 months, and I've heard you say that you love it so much that you forget about time. So this would cer- certainly hit your remit about an exciting opportunity and the chance to make a big impact. So I'd like you to talk about what is it about this brand, this team, this category that you love so much? I stepped down from Pepsi. I took a couple of years to just do some consulting, um, make sure that my daughter got off to college okay. And, you know, because when I was at Pepsi, I was traveling all over the world. And I think, you know, I missed I missed some time with her for sure. I um, started to think about, okay, what do I really want to do? And, you know, for me personally, there's two things that I'm super passionate about. One is um, women and supporting women and women's causes. And the second thing that I'm really, um, I think, supportive of and want to make an impact in is around youth culture. And one of the things that I see right now um, is... That just, you know, really breaks my heart is um, what's happening right now with mental health and teens. And so uh, that kind of sits with me uh, a lot. You know, like I like I told you at the beginning of the conversation, I have a Gen Z daughter and I've watched how COVID has impacted her and her friends. And um, just in general, their lives are very different uh, today in terms of, I think, the level of stress that they all have on them. So um that has always sat, you know, very near and dear to my heart. Um, and when this Claire's thing came along, uh, I just thought it was, it was a perfect fit for my personality as well. Like it's an opportunity to, in a brand, um, that I thought could use an infusion of fresh thinking, right? It's this 50 year old retail brand. Um, consumers still really love it. Um, it stands for self-expression and creativity. I feel like it's the perfect platform to go in and reinvent yourself. Um, and I also felt that they were in need of like, you know, a level of reinvention. And so that was very enticing to me. Like I say, if they came in and it was kind of business as usual, um, I thought that, I, I, it probably wouldn't have been as interesting to me, but this idea of like re-energizing it and the opportunity for it to become more purpose-driven was very exciting to me. Tell us a bit more about that, Kristen, this idea of uh, reinvention, reimagining. You came in from the outside at a very senior level. That's never easy. So how are you going about that? You know, Claire's a 50-year-old brand, successful, growing, you know, great great position as an ear piercing service and all the beautiful things you have in the stores and omni-channel. So how do you start thinking about that? Because brand reimaginings and transformations, as you know, are complicated things. And unless everyone's seeing the same vision and all on board, it gets a little complicated. So just tell, walk us through how you're approaching that 14 months into the job. Well, I think in some ways um, I got lucky because the um, head of the company really understands the opportunity for this to become a global brand powerhouse. And I don't think that we say that lightly. Um, We kind of got to that by talking to consumers, right? So um, the first amount of time that I spent at the company and that he spent at the company was really spent 
talking to these, these moms, talking to these kids. And what they say and have told us is they love the brand. Um, they want more from it which is always a good place to sit. So, you know, they, they talk about things like, Hey, we want, you know, we may want apparel to go along with the accessories and, you know, we um, could let you come in and decorate our college dorm. And, you know, they even went so far as to tell us that they might want cafes from us, which I don't know if we'll go there, but um, you know, these kids think in terms of their lifestyles. And if they like your brand, they kind of allow you to come in and live more places in their lives. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, I feel very lucky that um, I have a, a like-minded CEO. So the leadership team is moving in a direction where we know we can be more and we want to be more. Um, but it, but it all starts from the consumer and it all starts from, you know, how, how much we can, um, infuse more of ourselves into their lives. And, and they're, they're very, very clear and open in terms of what they want. And so we're sort of taking our lead from them. But you see the brand continuing to stand for creativity and self-expression. It would just manifest itself in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I say, I think that it's also the modernization of that platform, if you will, right? Like what we've learned about this generation is that they live these fluid lifestyles, like fluid on all fronts. And, you know, both from questioning their their gender identities and being sort of open around that to, um, you know, this sort of... Um, even around their professions and what they want to do. It's like the slash environment, they're photographers slash students slash whatever. So um, I think that we're also looking to, I think, support them in that. And, and I am really careful about um, with this generation, more than any generation, I think it, it cannot be you talking at them. Like they really have to be part of of this movement. So when I say that, like Claire's is a platform for self-expression in some ways, all we do is provide this like cradle <laughs> and, and they come in and make it their own. You know, like we talk about for them, like, Hey, you like polka dots one day and you want to be punk one day, have at it. You know, if you want to be a jock the next day, like we're here to, to help you and support you in that. You just talked a lot about Gen Z. You have a daughter who's Gen Z. You knew a lot about Gen Z coming into this job. You've just rattled off things you've learned. What's been the most surprising thing, if anything, that you've learned about Gen Z since starting this role? Yeah, that's a tough question just because I've got this like really opinionated kid living with me. So um, believe it or not, and I don't see this with my daughter, like they're really in tune with their financial futures. And, um, mm. you know, they're, they're thinking about their careers at, by the age of 12. And, you know, they've, they've got somewhat of a perspective on um, business and trends. Uh, you know, there's, there's one woman who works at the company um, who has a daughter, and we call her the Oracle, because she'll make calls about like business and what we need to be thinking about. And um, they're, they're just re really savvy in a way that I don't think other generations were like, she told us the next big trend is going to be around um, skincare for, you know, kids. And not just I mean, like real skincare with efficacy to like keep your skin 
you know, from aging. And I mean, they're thinking about this stuff at 12 years old. So one of the things that like I really had to institute was, um, you know, a constant feedback loop where we're talking to our loyalty customers on a regular basis and just giving them them the opportunity to to chat with us. Mm -hmm. Now, tell us about how you spend your time as CMO. You've already told us about what you really value, staying close to culture, the consumer, Gen Z. Uh, unpack your, your job a bit for us. You know, if we looked at your diary for a few weeks, what would we take away from what you value, how you spend your time, how you, you know, how you define the role of CMO at Claire's? I think one of the most important things that I, I think about right now is, um, constant curiosity about how brands are being disruptive and how businesses are being disruptive. And then constantly trying to think through, like truly elevating the value of where we are today and where we can be tomorrow. Um, so I spend a lot of time thinking about that. You know, the retail business, you're only as hot as like your current trend or what you're pushing. So like we have to pivot very quickly in this business um, on, on basically a daily basis in some ways, particularly because we have a direct consumer business. And so e-com is like a constant 24-hour thing. So I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, thinking about um, building capabilities for this company, right? Because we are in a place where, uh, and, and again, I think that all CMOs are thinking about this right now. It's, you know, the, I think the nature of the type of organization you need and, and the, the talent and capabilities and skill sets is really changing at Claire's. Um, but I think that everybody's thinking about that. When you say it's changing at Claire's, the capabilities, the skill sets, speak a bit more about that, if you could, Kristen. It is something everyone's wrestling with, so I think it'd be helpful to get your perspective on the most important skills and capabilities at Claire's as you look into the future. We're very, very focused on um, data and analytics because we get so much of it, right? We get so much on a um, pure numbers-driven perspective. Um, we have 11 million consumers in our loyalty program. Um, you know, we're constantly tracking behavior in terms of, you know, how they're acting in the stores and what's important to them. And then just like on a qualitative level, the constant conversations that we're having with them. So we've had to like really set up a system to be able to be that brand in consumers' lives. Um, I would say the second thing that we're doubling down on is what does the creative department of the future look like, right? So I think retailers in the past were really focused on signage and I think they were really focused on um, their e-commerce presence. You know, now we're starting to go into different areas. We're, we're thinking about the metaverse. We're thinking about content creation. And so how am I structuring the team to be reactive to the those consumer needs? I just uh, posted a webinar with a bunch of CMOs in preparation for the big festival in Cannes, you know, it's coming this summer. And I asked them their perspective on four really hot issues. And one is, what are you doing to learn about the metaverse and the and the call got kind of quiet and they all said well we we all define it a bit differently but the key principle is you know jump in start experimenting learn about it talk to a lot of people 
try a few things, understand where it might impact your business and start learning about that, which I think was a pretty good answer. But, but I think the 10 seconds of quiet as we started the conversation was kind of revealing. Listen, I don't think I have the benefit of kind of standing back and being super, uh, listen, this generation's there. Like right. my generation right. is on Roblox. And so yeah. I think that Claire's has to be there. I think a lot about fidgetal, you know, um, because I have physical store locations, I've got a direct to uh, consumer business. We're now selling our products in, you know, Walmart uh, around the world. Um, and, and we're moving out from our owned and operated channels. I think that if anybody should be there, a brand like Claire's, that's a youth culture brand um, targeted to Gen Z. Our consumers are there. Anytime we sell anything that's like gaming related in the stores, it flies off the shelves. Um, so I wish that I could be you know, a little more on my hind foot in thinking through this, but I think we've got to go. For sure. As you think about the last 14 months, what are you happy about? And what are you not so happy about? I, I'm really happy with, um, first of all, the level of love and openness from the consumers around this brand and what it could be. I think that there's so many opportunities. And I always say that Claire's is so much bigger than its its doors around the world, right? I feel like in some ways, the sky's the limit in terms of how much these consumers will embrace us and let us into their lives. So I think that that is um, incredibly exciting for this company. And um, I think it puts you in a place of, in some ways, real opportunity to, to grow your business. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. I had that gut instinct coming into the company, but you know, that was just me sort of with my experience uh, taking a swag at what I thought this could be. But I think that consumers are ready for this brand to go there. And honestly, when I look at the top 125, you know, interbrand brands, there's not a lot of youth culture brands on there. You know, there's Lego, there's Disney. Um, I think that Claire's could really hold a special place in consumers' lives. That's a very inspiring thought, by the way, Kristen. You know, for your company, for your team, for everyone. It's a very inspiring thought. Yeah, right? It, it really is. Um, what I'm not so thrilled about, I think, is kind of what we talked about before. Like, I, what makes me so sad for this generation is the mental health issues that they're facing. And um, for my daughter, like a lot of them suffer with anxiety. And I didn't really understand what anxiety was. Like, I would kind of say, oh, I'm stressed out. But this generation, like, has a whole other, I think, something something on their shoulders. Um, I also think that there's a lot of, you know, questioning of gender that we see. Um, and if we can sort of be that safe haven, that would be an amazing place to be. I don't know, that that's that's kind of what's on my mind. This is probably an unfair question, but you have an interesting point of view on this. Why do you think the mental health situation we have is as severe as it is? I mean, I've heard some academics say, well, it's always been severe. We just know a lot more about it now. I'm not sure I buy that. So from your perspective, why do you think we are where we are with mental health and young people? I think that there's a, a new level of pressure on this generation to, I think, be successful and to succeed. And I think they feel that. 
I think that um, culture is moving so much more quickly than it ever has, right? It was a little bit different. Like we didn't have the, the phones with us all the time. Like we could kind of go off on our bikes and be, and be kids. Um, I think that, you know, I think technology has been amazing and wonderful, but I think it's also um, in some ways stunted us. And even for myself, like I have to make myself get off of TikTok, you know? So it's, it, I think it's being mindful about those things. All right. I want to move to the creative brief. And my first question is, you have a sticky note on your computer that says, trust your gut. Why is that so important to you? Because in this world that I think CMOs are operating within, um, it's the balance of the art and the science, right? And now that we have more information on consumers than we ever have, it's very easy to just kind of like watch the data. Um, it's very easy to uh, try to draw correlations between where you need to go and, and, you know, what you're seeing online. But sometimes there's this inherent thing, particularly in culturally motivated brands where some of what you do is just based on good old gut instinct. Right. And so, um, sometimes I'll sit in meetings and I, I listen to what's going on from a financial perspective and I'll listen to, you know, the data. And sometimes, sometimes it's just pure emotion with consumers in terms of what they want. And I've always had a really good handle and read on that from an empathy perspective. So I always have to remind myself, like, trust that sometimes, because um, I think that those points are important. You serve on the board of two very interesting public companies, one in gaming and one in life sciences. How has that experience helped you be a better leader? Oh my gosh. I love both of my board roles. Well, one, I, I'm just starting. Um, it's, it's, it, it's wonderful. It's a bioscience company. And I, I kind of use that formula again, like it, does this excite me and you know, can I have impact? Um, cause it's not a natural place for me to sit. Um, but I am really into understanding like, um, wellness and taking the right vitamins to make your brain work better and to feel better. And that this company holds many patents around that. So I thought, oh my gosh, this is so perfect because I spend a lot of time thinking about this. Um, but I think, you know, what, what I learned is, um, one of the most important things a CMO can do these days is to be a CMO with a CEO hat. And, you know, you can be as uh, creative and, you know, culturally impacting as as you you want. But at the end of the day, um, I think that for me, brand equals business and business equals brand. And I think that um, it's that art meeting science again. And so I learn a lot about, you know, how to run a company how to run um, a publicly traded company and what's important to the street. And so when I go back to my daily work, you know, I'm, I'm super empathetic to our CEO and what he needs to get done. Um, I think early on in my career, I probably wasn't and, you know, didn't and, and wanted more money and better things for the consumer. But I think it's, you know, the, the balance of um, understanding the brand's role in driving revenue and growth. And so I think it's been super helpful in, in um, understanding what it takes to run a company. 
Do you talk to your daughter much about Claire's? Oh my God. Yes. I talk to my daughter about every job I have. Like I'll show her commercials, um, you know, and, and see what she thinks. I'll, you know, she did a lot of stuff with me at Pepsi, um, in terms of what was important, but also just like watching her and her friends beverage drinking habits and what was going on for them. She is an amazing, amazing, you know, focus group of one for sure. You know, it was funny. I have to say, um, one of the super neat things about working at Claire's is they send employees like a box of Claire's goodies. And I thought to myself, well, Olivia's going to be a little bit too old for, you know, this box of goodies that comes from Claire's. And I walked in from a meeting one day and she was sitting on the couch with her friends and, you know, she grew up in Los Angeles. So they're kind of, they're kind of sophisticated teens. Right. And they were sitting there like, Oh my gosh, with such delight on their faces. And they had like, you know, all of the glitter hanging from their hair and they put the rings on. And I don't know, there's something that's so wonderfully ageless about this brand. Um, and it, it, uh, I thought that that was really cool. Where else do you go for inspiration for your work, for your life, for your interests? Um, I am an avid reader. I consume everything from bioscience to um, just the junk on, you know, popular culture and gossip uh, and just constant curiosity. Um, I happen to live in a city where a ton of trends start. So I'm really lucky in that way. You know, there's a lot happening out here from a tech perspective to um, art and fashion. You know, I, it's also like who I surround myself myself with in terms of, you know, my, my social circle and friends. And um, I just uh, it's like my life is kind of that in a way. I always think about being a CMO is kind of a lifestyle job. It doesn't sort of mm -hmm. end when you leave the office. It's like you kind of have to be that person. Um, and I've kind of always just been that person. Yeah, I agree with you with that. I mean, one of the beautiful parts about working at P&G, and I did it for many years, you're just involved in daily life on so many levels. And it's endlessly interesting and curious it is. about how, how, how the different cultures of the world take care of themselves, their families, their bodies, their homes. It's just, it's rich and it, it never gets boring and it's always shifting. And, and that's a really fun part of being in marketing and being a CMO. Absolutely. It's kind of what I, I mentioned. It's like, I lose track of time, you know, it's like, yeah. cause I'm thinking so much about, you know, what, what's going on and culture and with the consumer. And it's just, it's fun. You know, I think that that's key for anybody. It's like having fun at what you're doing as well. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? I, my answer is going to be, um, my family's everything to me. Um, like absolutely everything. Like I am, I think that I am grounded in who I am because of them. Um, you know, I, I heard this thing once about how we actually pick our families at some point in, in life before you're even born. And, you know, I, I grew up in a family that was like super hardworking. Um, my mom's Italian and, um, you know, I have a dad who's an aerospace engineer, who's the complete opposite of kind of who I am. And I think it's that whole combination of things that just makes me who I am. I think they set me straight, right? So if I ever feel like I'm doing amazing and start getting a big head, they're always like, you know, kind of bringing me back to where I need to be. 
Well, your aerospace dad engineer must love that you're on a life sciences board. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Finally. See, it, it comes around. It actually comes around. For sure. So what are you looking forward to this summer? I've got a lot going on this summer, um, both from a business and, and personal perspective. My daughter is heading off to London to study, um, which I'm excited for her. And then um, we've got a lot. I don't know why, but like the summer months for um, retail are going to be uh, just really, really um, busy. You know, it's it's the back to school season um, and we've got some really cool things coming up. Um, around that. And, you know, immediately you head into holiday. Um, So for me, the summer is going to go by in kind of um, the blink of an eye. Kristen, this has been a wonderful chat. I hope you enjoy the summer. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I had so much fun with you. You ask incredible questions. I loved it. Thank you for your insights and congratulations on this role. Thank I you. mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, I never thought about it. If you look at the Fortune 500, very few youth brands. Very few youth so brands. So what an opportunity. Yeah, I think it'll be cool. I, I, I definitely think it'll be cool. And like I say, I'm having fun. It's like, what's not to love? It's just kind of happy product. So <laughs> thanks again. Thanks. That was my conversation with Kristen Patrick. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one is be a CMO with a CEO's hat on. I love that quote from Kristen's conversation. And she quickly said she believes brand equals business and business equals brand. Great CMOs think that way and great CMOs think always with a business and CEO hat on. Second takeaway. Be in touch with your consumer all the time. Kristen is an expert at this. She is always immersed in culture and her consumer, and consumer feeds culture, culture feeds consumers. She's especially close to Gen Z. That is her target market, but she is relentless about understanding them, the issues they face, the challenges, and how they see the world. This is a masterclass in staying close to your consumer. Third takeaway, this is a basic learn to trust your gut. We're surrounded by data and analytics, and that is good. But when your gut says something is wrong, listen to it. We both talked about how this gets better as you get more senior, you trust your gut more, you have more confidence. But even when you're a young manager, if something doesn't feel right in your gut, listen to it and act on it. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.